podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switch to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. They could break here, Chelsea. This could be the moment. Frank Lampard for Chelsea. It's Carvalho to his right. Lampard for the title. Lampard, it's 2-0. It's Chelsea's championship. And 50 years of waiting have come to an end. Lampard comes out to Essien. Yes, yes, okay, welcome to Chelsea Hour. 
Um, again, club specific Touchland Frackers podcast, episode two, week two. Um, we have got myself, Yasin James, Joe Tweeds, Dan Soft, What's up? and Mr. Mead inside. That's happening, guys. You're good. Yeah, man. yeah I'm good, man. Yeah, good, man. Yeah. Battering me, but I'm good. Yeah, listen, Heat Wave London 38 today. We've had to make Meads turn his fan off. <laughs> so we didn't want to wreck up the thing, so he's fuming, but it's good. We move, all good, all good. Before we get into anything, before we get into anything, Meads, I know you've got something that you want to announce quick time. Yes, so Touchdown Frackers are having a live show and a live screening of the Newcastle and Arsenal game as well as the Chelsea versus United game. Come on down. Uh, tickets are still available, but they're running out quite quickly. So don't, dull, please. Don't, don't, don't come and say, oh, don't come and say, oh, no, tickets, oh, no, oh, let's What's go. The date? What's the date? What's yeah, the it's August 11th. So. August 11th, um, mm-hmm. and it starts, what's the time it starts, man? Around, doors are open at 1.30, so make sure you get your tickets. Where can people get them? You can get them from shubs.com. Um, if you want to go on our Instagram or Twitter, you'll see the link all over the shop. But yeah, okay. so search on show. You said don't lack because they're going. It's going to be ram. Exactly. They're going. Season's coming. We're nearly out of the preseason door. It's coming. Um. Okay, so everyone inside, obviously, last time we spoke, it was after, well, I didn't, I was missing, but it was after the Irish games. Um. Really good warm-up. First time for us to get to see this Lampard era, but obviously the level that we were going up against with these last two Japan friendlies. Um, was a bit of a step up. So I guess one way I want to kick off is is just talking about these two games, Barcelona and Kawasaki Frontale, and Jeez. what was our main takeaways? That pronunciation. That pronunciation. Someone's been working on that all day. <laughs> you know, you know. Bruh. <laughs> practice proper. You said about say, say it one more time. One more time. Uh, just because it's worth the practice. Kawasaki Frontale. It's probably wrong as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know why it says Frontale, but you know that like, if it's foreign, you just got to put an accent on the Wait, E. I speak a bit of Italian, it's, you know. I made it sound more European, my bad. Eurocentric, Eurocentricism. It's a disease, it's bad, it's bad. That's it, podcast done, call it a day, lads. <laughs> done, woke Twitter's good. If this bus is in Japan, we're going to be fucked. <laughs> So, who wants to get kicked off? Because I thought... Well, actually, I, I, might, I, I might as well start. Um, so, the Kawasaki game was interesting because I thought the first half was quite decent. Um, but the second half... Well, the second half, obviously, after the changes, the string of changes, um, things just broke down. And you just saw the level of quality drop significantly when um, Drinkwater and Bakioko came on. Yeah, so there's that big divide. Just a reminder for those who weren't able to watch the entire game, the starting first team for the first half was a 4-3-3, Caballero in goal, Azpilicueta right right back, Alonso left, Zuma and Luis, which seems a pretty solid starting. I know Joe and a few others have touched on that and Meads as, as their preference. Kovacic, Georgie and Mason Mount in midfield, Kennedy, Batshuayi and Pedro up top. Whoa, whoa. And yeah, it was, it was very telling when those midfielders in particular got replaced. Yeah. At the depth issue there. Big drop in quality. Um, it's, it's quite worrying, actually. Um, but then at the, at the same time, you're not factoring in, obviously, Loftus Cheek when he gets back from injury, which is going to be a while. And you're not factoring in um, Ingola Kante. He wasn't playing. He's still nursing an injury back in London. Um, so we do have depth. It's just, 
I think Jorginho and Kovacic, the more I've seen them in the, in this base of a two, um, the more I the more comfortable I get when it comes to controlling games. They can control the tempo of whatever match we're playing. It's, so I know in the second game, means you were really impressed with Kovacic and Jorginho. What was so different compared to last year where you weren't maybe uh, Kovacic's biggest back? Yeah, so, so Kovacic, everyone knows with me, Kovacic, I've said from the beginning, he's not an eight. He's not a number eight. He is not an offensive-minded player. He's not someone that's going to be willing to break lines in the final third. However, one of his biggest strengths are his ability to progress play from deep. Um, so I always knew his best position would be in a two, in a 4-2-3-1. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that he's playing better, but it surprises me how well he's played in preseason. It's It's been a, a complete step up in level. But I feel he showed some forms of quality um, last season. So the Europa League final, he showed quality um, throughout the game. Um, so it, again, it doesn't surprise me, but I'm glad to see that he's actually taken it on. And now he's in his rightful position. He's able to play mm-hmm. at a higher level. Um, so, yeah, he showed that in both games. So, mm-hmm. we'll touch on the Barcelona game later. But, yeah, the Frontale game, the drop-in quality is incredible. Um, drink water should not be anywhere near our team. Anywhere near it. Bakuoko, again, I'd say he shouldn't be anywhere near it. But he has more of a claim than drink water. But even then, that's very slight. So this is something I know that Dan, Dan's been touching on a little bit in, in chats off the podcast where in terms of these depth players who a lot of fans on the timelines and this, that and the other might be like, get shot of him, get selling him. But people like Barkley, people like Bakayoko, um, with this transfer ban in place, what is the best way that we can maximise these squad players, do you think? I know Barkley showed up quite good, good showing in both games. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, so obviously it seems like our formation is going to be, or like our first formation is going to be a 4-2-3-1, which is a different formation. Obviously it was 4-3-3 last year, which means specifically for midfield I'm talking about, we're going from a two-man midfield to a three-man midfield, which means we're kind of really blessed when it comes to midfield because we do have, obviously from pre-season, it looks like both Kovacic and Barkley, two players who have been kind of, you know, um, criticised heavily by our fan base. Both of them are having great pre-seasons. Jorginho is, has been amazing too. We still have Kante to come back. Um, Mount has come in too. So we're really kind of blessed in that area. So even though Barkley and... I mean, sorry, even though Drinkwater and Bakayoko might be... Uh, even though we've got a transfer ban, I still think it doesn't really make sense for both of them to stay. Given Bakayoko's wages, given Drinkwater's wages, given the fact that we have young players like Billy Gilmore to come in, um, personally, I would get rid of them. One thing I would say about the was it Frontale? The front we'll call him Frontale. The Frontale. Let's go with Kawasaki because we know that's a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kawasaki sounds yeah. like authentic. Um, with the Kawasaki game, um, I wasn't really sure about the four-two-three-one. I don't think really play, we really played that well. I think they looked a lot more fitter than us. But I think in contrast with the the Barcelona game and I think the 4-2-3-1 is a counter-attacking formation so we, we all know when we play against Barcelona there's spacing behind and so I feel like the, the way the fan base has kind of switched completely saying we're the worst team ever to a, we're really good and the optimism's back I feel like it's because the 4 2 3 one's a counter-attacking formation and against Kawasaki I think was pressing really high because we was the bigger team so we was trying to control things whereas with this against Barcelona the team was coming on us which means that, again, Kovacic and Jorginho, they played really well getting the ball forward and we were counter-attacking. So um, I do feel like 
in midfield we're blessed. Uh, I feel like defensively, um, I've seen different combinations of the centre backs. I, the Barcelona game we saw like the two white centre backs coming. I think uh, who was it? Christensen and, and Louise playing, and then Zuma and mm-hmm. who did you boo? No, no, did you say boo? Oh, I, I thought someone booed someone. No, no, no. Okay, no, no. cool. Yeah, it was Christensen, Louise to start, and then Tomori Zuma finished that game. Right. Do you know what it is? I really like Tomori. For some reason, do you know when a uh, centre-back's comfortable on the ball, they kind of put you at ease? He's got mm. that kind of ease about him. Zuma, not as much, even though I like Zuma in terms of tackling and heading, and he's that more of an ugly defender. Um, and I think Tomori's going out on loan. I like... Well, this is, this is something I do want to touch on, because I know... Everyone wants to keep Zuma. Everyone wants to keep Rudiger. Everyone wants to, more or less, I might get battered for this, but play Louise. Christensen is a little bit of an academy jewel that people don't want to leave and, and everything like this. So even with Tamori going on loan, how do we kind of solve that log jam, log jam there at centre-back? Joe, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on who's going to be the first to sort of lose out. Um, who you think Lampard might prefer in terms of the way that we're playing with, with pace going forward and leaving spaces in behind. I think probably what, what we'll see this season, I, I'm kind of expecting Luis to sort of be rotated and managed. I mean, he's, what, 32 now, isn't he? So I still think for big games, I think he'll start United away. I think he'll start against Liverpool. But I think what you'll see throughout the season is, is him maybe not playing as many minutes as he's done sort of historically. And in which case, I would say probably Christensen is, is Luis's deputy at the moment. And then you're probably going to play one of Zuma, Rudiger, and if tomorrow's going out on loan. And I think that that's kind of the the makeup of the back four that you've got. Um, Aspilicueta and Alonso, if they're starting, that back four has got absolutely no pace in it whatsoever. So, you know, you're going to need a Tamori or a Zuma or someone like Rudiger um, at the back just to sort of provide some sort of covering speed. But it, it all kind of depends on, on how sort of the fullback situation for me kind of shapes out throughout the season. If you've got, I don't know, let's say uh, Reese James comes back and, and takes over that, that starting right back spot by sort of, you know, December time and, I don't know, Palmieri sort of starts playing a bit more regularly as, as the sort of first choice left back. Then I think maybe you can you can maybe mix and match and maybe pick sort of maybe, uh, let's say, Christensen Louise potentially as slightly more ball playing centre backs. But it's going to be uh, for me just sort of the making sure that we've got enough covering speed. Because I think last season, one of the things that, that you sort of saw regularly when I think particularly when, when Rudiger got uh, injured was that we, we were susceptible to sort of balls over the top and, and a little bit sort of down the channels as well when uh, Alonso and, and Aspilicueta were playing. So I, I'd like to see, um, for me, that sort of mix and match. I think Luis starts the big games probably for me at the moment with Zuma, given that Rudiger's injured. And uh, it's up to those guys to sort of keep the positions. Um, I think Luis will get rotated in cup games and probably in some of the uh, the weaker Champions League games, and then maybe sort of we'll start seeing it a bit more in the league. But it's it's Zoom of um, um, potentially for me to start, and then and then I think it will kind of see how things shape up once the uh, the fullback situation is is sort yeah, of absolutely. Yeah, I think Zuma does have that advantage of Rudiger being out, so he can play his way into form early on. I think that's a really good point you've made about um, covering ourselves in behind, because even looking at the first goal for Barcelona, there we won it with. Jorginho being really aggressive in the opposition final third on, I think it was Busquets who lost the ball. Yeah. Now, that, that front four, I think we've really got down. I think the, the left, the right, the, the 10 and the striker seem great. Where I'm a bit concerned is if that front four, five-man press does get broken, is there enough in the legs of Kovacic, Kante when he's back, Jorginho as that two to protect that back four enough? So I think that's where the pace will yeah. come really in handy. Just... 
sort of as a roundup then of, of those two games, what are the first impressions and takeaways that we're most optimistic about in this in this Lampard era? Now we've had what 180 minutes in Japan, 180 minutes in Dublin. It's, it's not a huge sample size, but I think the signs are quite tellingly there about how he wants to play. Yeah. Um, there's already a few little clues about who he trusts to give minutes and who he'd like as partnerships and stuff like that. So, so just going around, starting from from Dan, then to Meads, and then to Joe. Like, what are you guys most optimistic about so far from this preseason? Because the fan base does seem mildly optimistic, cautiously optimistic. Cause, yeah, because the last game we won, that's why. Because they were completely. <laughs> yeah, trust me. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were looking at Lampard funny. I can't lie. Right. They were looking at Lampard funny after Frontale. They were looking at him funny. Yeah, there was Lampard out on Twitter and shit, but. I think for me, I like. Okay, I like the fact I was skeptical at first with four two three one to see how it worked, but I do kind of like the fact, especially in bigger games, how Kovacic and Jorginho they're specifically doing defensive stuff, and then with especially I guess Barkley over Mount, even though Mount's been great, um, I like what I've seen of Mount Barkley in terms of attacking midfield play. In terms aggression's of there so the, far, man. The aggression, not just the like, aggression. There's a touch of class, like, and I think Barkley deeper. I th- okay, I think since Sari's gone, he's got he's not thinking as much, and then he's just playing his own game. He seems calm. He's done a lot of these kind of slide balls in where these kind of where he's kind of fainted that he's going to shoot or something like that, and then slid mm-hmm. him in. And he's been shooting as well. So he hit the post against one of the teams in Ireland. He obviously scored against. Was it? Um, Kawasaki in the bus in the bus game late on he scored. Oh yeah, the bar, yeah the bus game he scored. Um, so I like that number ten kind of position. To be fair as well with the Barca game, I like the fact that we were pressing high. It was high intensity. Um, I was telling me the other day it kind of seems like we outbarsed Barca in the way because you know how Barca always have these brunette guys um, just running with that. They have got tech but they got press pressing too. I think with Jorginho, Kovacic, Pedro. Mount and Pulisic, they're all kind of high energy pressers. So I like that about them, and we could kind of keep the ball. And yeah, we didn't look out of place. So I like that because I think going into the new season, I was just worried that we didn't have any organization after the Kawasaki game. But it, we settled and we played our game. Just a little word on Pulisic, by the way, because I, I don't know if it was last week with you lot or, or what, but I feel like it's getting battered a bit early on. Mm. Listen, the thing with Pulisic, right? He's He's not what you'd usually pay 60 million for. But what I do kind of see as being useful as the season goes on is you've got Pedro, who's the end of attack man. You've got William, who's a... I mean, if he has a good... He's a sack. It's where where momentum goes to die a lot of the time with William. It's like, oh, oh, we got... No, it's... it's, it's, (laughs) And then you've got Callum, who we'll get onto a little bit later, but obviously real aggressive threat direct to the goal. One thing I... Do you think we lack with with that? And even Kennedy's shown it a little bit. It's just a worker to keep the pitch wide, to do what a coach tells them to do. Delivery, finishing, passing, all that with Pulisic, the jury's out. But what he does look like is a bit of a tactical weapon where if you need to open the pitch up and have someone just running up and down and mm. making space for others and receiving behind, he looks like that could be his main that, use. That's, that's a an fair ex- point. It's an expensive Exactly. That's a, do you know when we had like Ramirez right wing or when we had Bertrand as a like a left winger that kind of worker winger or like Kalu to be fair yeah. like, since Hazard's left because Hazard was our kind of only luxury winger so I think since Hazard left and the fact that Pulisic's coming the fact that Hudson-Odoi tracks I think your point is right in terms of 
I think we've got more aggressive players going both forward and back now. I don't think we have any luxury wingers. Yeah, I hear that. I hear yeah. that. Joe, in terms of in terms of where you think the fan base will really react positively to this type of football as opposed to uh, the sorry ball opinion which they made themselves well clear, especially those who attend games. What do you think that, that, that we have to look forward to in terms of just a more appealing type of football for a Chelsea fan? I think it, it's probably going to be slightly more situational in terms of how we approach games. I think that was one of my biggest concerns last season was that you know, we don't have the players to go head-to-head with City. And, and, and there's kind of no real shame in sitting there and saying that we don't have the players to go and, and go and sort of play them toe-to-toe. So I'm not sure why at, at times, sorry, went to was it the 6-0 game where we got absolutely obliterated off the park. I'm expecting to see a little bit more variety from Lampard. And I think Dan said it really well in terms of that 43-1. I think Chelsea have always been an incredibly good counter-attacking team. They were under Conte. They've been excellent under Mourinho. But I think that there'll be more of an onus to play when we get the opportunity. So, you know, sort of some of these lower league teams, lower league teams, sort of teams in the lower half of the Premier League. I think sometimes, particularly last season, we, we, were, we weren't trying to move the ball as quickly. We were sort of a little bit slow and pedestrian at times, thinking back to that, that Bournemouth game um, and, and a few other games as well last season. So what I'm, I'm hoping to see is, is, is us be the aggressor and be on the front foot where it's applicable. And then maybe sort of be a little bit more self-aware in terms of our strengths and limitations when you come to games like City and Liverpool. No point trying to sort of go in 100 mile an hour at Liverpool and they, they just count you to death or, or try and sort of outpass City. You know, I think that we'll see a bit more um, of an appropriate setup against those teams. I'm sort of thinking back. I, I still think, you know, Conte's uh, win at City was, was one of the best games that Chelsea uh, have played in the past sort of five, six years. And, and that purely was... Uh, was a job in terms of countering. So, yeah, I think, smashing grab, yeah, yeah, you know, like a proper proper smashing grab game. Um, so, I think that that's something that the, the fans are warm to is that there'll be, I don't want to say more more of an intelligent approach. So I still think Sari's style of play is is, is intelligent. It's it's designed obviously to, to play in a certain manner. But I think Lampard. I was going to say, you know, I'm a Sari fanboy. You know this. So yeah. I felt like you were trying to rile me with that. No, I was just, I'm I, glad I, you I'll, I'll give him, I'll give him his dues now. He's at, he's, now he's at Juventus, but. Um, <laughs> You know, there's there's not necessarily going to be, I, I think, the the same sort of stringent approach to every game. And personally, as someone who, whose biggest criticism of Sire was just the inflexibility, mm. both in terms of approach and personnel, I think for me that's the, the thing that hopefully will get the fans on board. Plus, I mean, it's it's Lampard at the end of the day. So I, I can't I can't see uh, particularly match-going fans turning on him, uh, if, if at all, if ever. Yeah, that's the point I was going to come to is... is Let's say it's a it's a season where we're a distance sick, hypothetically. Do you think a distance sick with a high tempo, full of heart game with three to four academy boys in it for the whole season will genuinely appease match going fans? Or is that just we're all being idealistic and actually at the end of the day winning's all that matters and if we're not doing that, people are gonna get onto Lampard's back? I think it depends how it sets a foundation for the following season. If you've if you've genuinely got, let's say, I don't know, Reese James has established himself as like a Premier League quality right back and maybe Mason Mount does. And just for argument's sake, Tammy becomes a, a pretty decent centre forward. And then I think if you're going into the following season with three, four, if you include Callum and Ruben, maybe five players who are in that sort of first 13, 14 players that play regularly, you know, kind of the following year, I think they'll probably accept that. And then obviously it's about trying to buy and sort of add quality to the team. Um, yeah. You've got a lot more faith in the match-going fan than I do. I've got uh, to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit... I'm a bit a part of the stadium or something. I don't know. 
Yeah, I'm a bit skeptical of the match going fans because um, they yeah, but they're passion merchants, but at the same time, they're very quick to turn. So it's very difficult. Because I think Lampard's got so much equity at the club, I think he, it will take a good while for that do, for that turn to do, actually happen. I know, think it'll take a while. Do you know what I, I think? think? I think he's got two years, personally. I think two years. Do you know what I think? I think people... It's almost like people are supporting their opinion more than they're supporting the club. And I feel like it might be a kind of revenge of the kind of civil war that's going on with Chelsea. So, like, last season, we kind of saw the match-going fans support... Um, want Sari out and then the kind of wider international fan base and the online fan base kind of support Sari. I feel like maybe now if you see Lampard don't do, not doing it as well you'll see like the online fan base and the international fans kind of comp, clamp down on Lampard but then the match going yeah. fans they're going to kind of be loyal to him. That's kind of I how I see but it. But then again out. at the same time to the club the match going fans tend to be the most important. To a club in my opinion their opinion is far more um, it has far more weight than an oh, online yeah. fan or, ma- put- or non-match going fan. Yeah, because obviously... I think there's a much more direct impact yeah. on yeah. a toxic match going fan based on performance, 100%. Yeah, a million percent. So, yeah, I think that's where that comes from. But yeah, so... No, so, from my, from so, my perspective, yeah. from my perspective um, how I saw the games, again, it's a small sample size... Um, after the Frontale game, I told Dan, oh, I'm not quite sure about this 4-2-3-1. I, I was reserved. I, I didn't completely bash it. It's not my favourite formation because I, the problem that I have with it is um, the lack of bodies in the box when it comes to um, attacking situations. Um, but to be fair, Pedro, Mount and um, Abraham and Batuai, whoever, whoever was playing the striker, they all got into the box quite consistently. So It was a lot of bodies in. There was a lot. Oh, bodies in the box. So I, I, I felt a little bit at ease, but at the same time, I was still a bit apprehensive. Um, when it came to the second game, um, again, I saw a lot of aggression, intensity, um, directness, um, and also the ability to... With Jorginho and Kovacic, their ability to control the tempo of the game. So, obviously, we're up against one of the past masters and tempo setters, the, one of the best that's ever, ever existed in Busquets. And we didn't look out of place. We didn't feel, I, I didn't feel our midfield ever felt uncomfortable. Um, I felt that we put their midfield under immense pressure. Mason Mount was sensational because not just his um, quality on the ball, but the, 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 the work rate is in, insane. Insane. Like, and... I think he will be a very, very key weapon. And maybe it may not be a thing where he completes 90 minutes all the time. But I think in the bigger games, I think Mason Mount may get the nod over Barkley simply because of the work ethic. And it's not a thing where it's like... Because Ross Barkley, he runs around a lot. But I don't think the work ethic... It's the same. Yeah, I thought, you see, and you see a January where Ruben's coming back from injury and is really struggling to get back in ahead of Mason and Bart. I wouldn't say he's struggling. No, I think Ruben will be able to play both positions in a sense that like he could play deeper or further forward. Um, I don't think he'll struggle because I think he, again, in terms of quality, he's a step above both of them. Um, so I think he slots back in, but you obviously want to ease him back in because it is a serious injury. See, talking um, of preseason, Dan, I think you could maybe start us on this. Is uh, we've got talking about the test, which was Barcelona was 
is a very particular test, especially for a pressing team, a team that can sort of play around. Look at the next three preseason fixtures. You've got Reading at the Medeski. Yeah. That's going to be interesting with a championship sort of tempo. They're a little bit closer to the start of their season, so that could be a really good test in one way. And then the final two games are away at Salzburg and away at Gladbach, who, in terms of, from my opinion, German teams are almost the gold standard with, with transition game and with reacting to presses and this, that and the other. So... What do you guys, starting with Dan, need to see out of those three fixtures that you maybe haven't seen yet to reassure you that, yeah, we're starting this season right? Um, I feel like the question mark is over the striker. So he's kind of spread out the game time across the strikers. But I feel like one thing that worries me still is that if we do not pick our striker, Meads, I don't know if you listen to the Arsenal pod, but on the Arsenal pod, they've done a bet saying that they feel like Aubameyang might score, outscore Giroud, Abraham and Batshuayi put together. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take that bet. Because I, the, the <laughs> maddest thing is, and the reason why I'll be willing to take that yeah. bet is because as, as unpolished as Abraham is, mm. he scores goals. He, he gets does. goals. He gets he goals. Does. And Batshuayi... levels of football, I saw something just today, yeah. all levels of football... Uh, I think it's 257 games. Abraham has 148 goals. Yeah. Okay, we're talking 18s, this, that, and the other level, but he was in a terrible Swansea team and got 10 Premier League goals. The guy scores. Whether he's... Yeah. I know we've talked a lot about his link-up and stuff. He's raw, but he has mm. the right ideas. He does have the right ideas, and he gets into positions. And I think if the quality is good enough, Boy, you listen, I'm an Abraham backer in this group fully. I know he's wrong. I know he's rough. <laughs> I can but tell. Bro, he's, hard, he's harsh in the eye, bro. But, I'm but, struggling, I can't lie. What are you, what are you saying? I'm backing, but I'm, I'm struggling. Like me, I've always said, like, my thing with strikers, I need a technically polished guy, yeah, and a netter. Yeah, so if you've got tech and you net, then I'm happy. Do you know what it is? In the Barcelona if game... you are only a netter then I struggle because I, I struggle to back you fully because I know when it comes to the bigger games when you need some technical quality and you need some technical efficiency, if it start when it comes to the big games and you start slacking, but, that's why I know you will fall down. See, I'm going mad that you're a Mitchie backer and talking about Mitchie. Uh, Mitchie's, got, Mitchie's got tech. Mitchie's got tech. I, I don't, he's not, the thing is with Mitchie, and I've said this from time, Mitchie is technically inefficient so he's got technique but he's so inconsistent with it so some games he'll have a blind is that just an aesthetic thing no 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 it's not aesthetic at all so there's some games where he would have an absolute blinder technically polished everything holding off first touch solid and then he'll have another game absolute stinker what i feel with mitchy is that he's had a, he's had that great patch at dortmund but everywhere else has been Gaffer's not trusting him. For whatever reason. Palace, okay. Oh, yeah. That's okay, not the level so he wants. Let's talk about Palace. So Val- no, 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 Palace. Valencia. Yeah. Conte the first. Okay, so Valencia. Again, we've got, re- we've got reasons, but regardless of all of that, I can, I can, I'll go back to that in a second, but in terms of his record, and his minutes per minutes to goal per ratio, one of the best, to, well, he definitely is the best of the Abraham era. I know that his current ratio stands, even with the Valencia's um, half season, still one in two. Everywhere he's been, one in two. I think my concern is, I I don't doubt he can score goals. I don't don't doubt he can score goals. My concern is, I don't know if in our current guys, with with the quality we've got behind him in terms of supplying, 
we've got a lot of seven out of ten promising etc etc players nearly polished players I don't know if the team is good enough to give to have a luxury of a man who can't really link up top if that makes sense which is why Giroud is my start so oh, I'm not going to score Giroud Oh. Yeah, he has to, he has to be. For the start of the season, he has to be. He has to be. Nah, man, nah. He has to be. I can't have it. But Meads, 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 you was going to say about the bet quickly. What was you going to uh, say? So, no, I'm, I'm having that bet. I'm having that bet comfy. And uh, our, our three will definitely outscore Aubameyang. See, my, my yeah. thing is, with the three, I think we could, but my issue is, if we don't pick a striker, none of them will prosper. That's the I issue. Yeah, so I feel like Lampard needs to make his decision. I don't care whether it's Giroud, I don't care whether it's Bats or Abraham. Of course, I care. I want someone to bang, but no one's going to bang if there isn't an outright starting striker. I, I, I hear what James is saying. In terms of polished um, kind of hold-up play, Giroud's the best. Even in the Barca game when he came on, I feel like just that comfortableness where everything you knew he was going to hold up. Um, I don't. I don't know about. I don't know about Tammy in terms of. I don't think he's lacking tech either. I don't think Tammy lacks that. I know he's he's young, he's um, kind of rawish and kind of similar to Batshuayi. Both of them aren't the finished product. They 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 ain't Drew in terms of everything is kind of like aesthetically pleasing all the time. But I don't. Th- I think um, Michi has. I mean, Tammy has some tech. Even with the goal, even though it didn't look good, he kind of moved it from the the left to the right and he went past the player. He's got a little bit of tech, but. That I was d- accidental, but I give him his credit. <laughs> he stumbled, the finish he stumbled, but the drag was not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the did the, that's what I was talking about, the drag. Touch, it stumbled. was the drag. Give him credit for the drag. But what I'm saying is... my I'm giving him his shoes, bro. Yeah, my, my worry <laughs> for the season is um, striker position. I feel like that will hurt us if we don't pick a striker. If he doesn't Do pick a striker. Do you think that needs striker. to be resolved in the, in, by the end of preseason, first month of the season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He needs to, yeah, he needs to pick someone and back him. And and to be yeah. fair, uh, Batshuayi came on on the left um, against yeah. Barcelona, so that's an option as well. So if Hudson goes off, maybe Bats can play on the left. But we definitely need goals, and we definitely need our striker situation sorted. And you know what? I kind of like that. Yeah. I don't mind him putting Batshuayi on the left. I don't mind him putting anyone on any strike on the left yeah, because we need to that's, need goals. That's that's exactly that's goals. Yeah. And if, for example, we're chasing the game and you don't necessarily want to change your shape. Yeah. Then you're bringing in a goal for at least, and it's that drug burton Nelka type of thing where Nelka went, and we haven't seen that for at least two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we haven't seen ages. So. Yeah, so I want to see over preseason. I want him. I want to see a first choice striker emerge. Yeah. Joe, ready in Salzburg, Gladbach. What's your one thing that for you you need to be? It needs to be solidified, and it needs to be evidence of it. These three games. I think I, I want to see who he's going to start at fullback. I think uh, from what I've seen from Alonso in pre-season so far, I mean, his, his head is so far in Madrid, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, potentially, I'd, I'd keep Palmieri, use Aspinacueta as a number two left-back. Yes. I think he's been a left-back for us and right-back anyway. Um, uh, full-backs and probably I'd like to see the midfield because I think at the moment, if uh, I'm not going to say I'm struggling to see Kante coming back in the side, but United away at the moment, I'm, I'm probably looking at Jorginho and Kovacic. Yeah, so Joe, I'm but I'm saying, so mate, I know Joe doesn't uh, like Jorginho, so for me to hear that, yeah, he's coming around. Yeah, bro. Uh, I quite like the new guy we've signed, Jorginho. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, uh, he's looked pretty decent so far. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think his comments were, were interesting. He, yes. you know, he, he, he tried to didn't really yeah. sorry under the bus, but you know, he, he distanced sort of himself, a little bit more freedom, a little bit more. I suppose less structure and I think actually it, it suits him and I think you know, particularly the Barcelona game was one that I watched back in, in detail you know mm. he was 
he was super impressive. And I, I like the fact that he's he's playing well in the big games. That was, again, something which I was a little bit uh, against him last season. Personally, I didn't think he always stepped up in, in the bigger games. But However, it's nice Joe, to see him play, play well. Just a quick one, Joe. Um, yep. Um, again, do you think that him failing in the big games was more structural than himself? Percent, yeah. I think I think part. I mean, for me, partly. I mean, I, I, I will completely admit my agenda was kind of linked to his sort of intrinsic role in, in Sari's structure. Um, I, I never used to like the fact that we we would attack with so many players, and it would just be Jorginho and the two centre backs. And uh, we spoke about it last time. You know, if you're yeah. if you're going to play three, like literally three people defending, you've got to have someone who can run the hundred in like under nine seconds to play in the yeah. field. So. I think he got um, exposed, not really maybe for his, for his own fault. I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be the best player defensively, but if you know that you don't have that sort of athletic ability, putting him with Louise and Rudiger at the back, okay. you know, the, the clips you can I see. I think he's, limit, he's limited physically, but I think, like, George Ingo is an underrated defender. Yeah. The direct play exactly. wide. When he's got the headband on, yes. Well, he <laughs> had a bit of bite to them, and I think you, you got a really good point there. Without 20 yards either side of him, Having a fullback and uh, a fellow defensive player next to him, it just might give him that smaller area to defend, and he might be ten times more effective. Do you know, he, he looks more comfortable to me, and I, I know that this probably for me is more of an aesthetic thing. But he looks more comfortable receiving the ball. He doesn't look so much under pressure. He seems like he's got more options to sort of distribute the ball. It might be also because I think Cova looks much better deeper as well. I think maybe they're sort of feeding off each other at the moment. And I think probably the question I'd, I'd say on the on the striker situation is if. Say we're sort of eighty fifth minute Old Trafford. We've got one chance to win the game. Who, who do you want it to fall to? I mean, that that's bats. the question. I think at, at the moment, it's bats for me. You know, I think yeah. bats will finish it. So bats starts. Do you, do you know what? In, quickly on the Jorginho thing. Jorginho said that actually in Sarri's system, he had to be more static because of the system. Yeah. So sometimes it's not. Is he slow? It, sometimes you have to ask the question: Is he slow, or is it a kind of instruction? So he said he feels I more freer. I know. I, I do think he is. I do think he is. Yeah. Okay. Not slow. I think he is. That's it. He's got the chest of a ten-year-old boy, so he's yeah. not wasting. <laughs> he's not. He's not strong. Right. He's not right. Strong. right. However, but, one thing I do like about Jorginho is that when the player is in front of him, and so the people are coming onto him, he can defend. So he can do. Like he's not necessarily a slider because I think he lunges quite a bit. But when he's on his feet. He's very good at tackling and interception and recovering the ball. Yes, However, when someone goes beyond him, yeah, that's when he's in big, deep trouble. But, but I think the other thing that I noticed about Jorginho last season, sorry, Dan, just to cut you, is, yeah, no, cool. is he came in and it was happy days because I think people were taken aback by how quickly we picked up um, Sari's sort of patterns of play and everything else. Then I think he struggled, as a lot of people do, and physically he was behind the league. But the last eight, nine maybe 12 games of the season, he came into them a lot more aggressive. Mm -hmm. He was playing a lot more quickly. And I think we are maybe neglecting the fact that constantly Premier League's pace is is uh, given as a reasonable excuse for a lot of players. Midfield, I would go as far as saying it's the hardest position to play in the Premier League because of the pace that the ball will come back at you as opposed to a striker where you put it in and the defender where you stop it. And two of our three midfielders, spend the entire season adjusting from Italian or Spanish football. Yeah. So that's something we could maybe read the benefit of a little bit now as well, is is we don't know the details of that adjustment period. We don't know how much they struggle with the pace of everything. And I think it's a good sign that they are looking like they're progressing and, um, and, towards the end of last year now. And you know what? Listening to the United pod, they were talking about how Pogba needs someone 
at the base of the midfield to initiate play because he has to come back and do it. And again, with the Liverpool pod, I was listening to that and they were talking about how they couldn't progress play um, in the 4-2-3-1 until Fabinho came to the team. So I feel like it's just good we've got someone there that is an expert at it. And obviously the Barcelona game, like just in terms of our transition, we were comfortable against Barcelona. Him and Kovacic were great. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a little bit about, um, moving on slightly, Lampard's two years talked about a lot of young players so looking a bit more to the future it's unavoidable at the moment it's what's in the news every time you see any Chelsea related story is about um, this young player called um, Callum Hudson-Odoi um, he's played a few times for the first never heard of him never heard of him he's played a few times for the first team and yeah there's this big tug of war Obviously, from buying bids in January, transfer requests, a lot of talk about where his head's at, whether he's going to stay, this, that and the other. Reports have come out now, I think it was yesterday or the day before, um, that this contract is agreed after a lot of to-in and throw-in. We don't know until there's, what's it, Comunicado Oficial. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. But we're getting there. It seems like we're getting closer. There seems to be a lot of agreement. Now, Matt Law, the Daily Mail... That Matt Law on the Telegraph, the Daily Mail, they sort of came with the first lines that he's agreed this contract, potentially a hundred grand a week. Sky Sports, without any source, dropped this hundred and eighty figure, which was the one to really make eyebrows raise online and and make people question the deal. Now, I know a lot of people have a lot to say on this, so I'm just gonna put something out there, as I know you lot have seen me already say. Okay, I'm gonna read something, and I'm gonna be allowed to finish it even though every man might disagree. No, that's yeah. cool. Go for it, go for it. Go if for it. we pay to a 19-year-old boy what we were being asked for to sign Luke Shaw, we're dead. We would have killed the stability in financial fair play and killed the stability in the dressing room. When you pay that much to a 19-year-old kid, a good player, a fantastic player, but when you pay that sort of money, the next day we would have had players knocking on our door. They would have been saying, how is it possible I play 200 games for this club and win this and all that? In some cases, I know this man was referring to captains of country, captain of Nigeria, Serbia. We would have played players knocking on the door. Yeah, a 19-year-old can come in and get more money than I get. It would have killed immediately our balance, and we can't allow it. I don't criticise other clubs for paying it. I don't have a comment on it. But for my club, we can say it would be very negative. Now, obviously, this is sort of Voldemort, who should not be named of the Chelsea. This is Mourinho <laughs> Right, about when the Chelsea interest in Luke Shaw and, and obviously Chelsea, Chelsea. Yeah, said all this, right? And Luke Shaw has gone United and uh, he spent the first two years of having that wage, not really earning that wage, but hopefully for him he's going to kick on. Now, I'm interested to get the, the view of this on the pod because whatever you might say about Mourinho, and I've got a lot to say about the man, he will know more than anyone over two spells what the culture of Chelsea and player power and everything and the sort of egos that Chelsea can hold, which are still there in, in the shape of the Williams and Luis is a massively influential player. Pedro's been around the block as Piliqueta's leader. Alonso looks like quite an influential player. There are still very senior, powerful players at that club. So where do we stand on that? Is that something we need to be considering with this new deal? All right, so here's me. All right, so my stance is... Callum Hudson Doy one is not a normal 19-year-old player, 18, 19-year-old. Callum Hudson Doy has the capacity to be a world-class player. Now, on the base level, when you are buying a player that has the potential or is a world-class player, you pay them their going rate. 
So if you look at it like this, if Callum Hudson-Odoi comes back from injury and sets the world alight, and he's on 100 to 180k a week, are you not going to be saying that it's well worth the money? Especially given the fact that he didn't have to sign. He could have just left and gone to Bayern Munich. Uh, and they could have been reaping the benefits of however much he would... Because he would probably wouldn't have had... He would have probably had 180k at Bayern. He would have probably got maybe 80. Um, and I know people are thinking, well, why should the club that he's been at all his life, the club that he, you know, that's trained him, educated him, why should they be paying more? Well, at the end of the day, he he almost felt like he was pushed into the situation where he didn't see that he was going to play. And it wasn't until he tried to force his way out that he started getting game time. I don't think he started a Premier League game until April. That's wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's wild. He did not start a Premier League game until April. And this is bearing in mind, this is Sari knowing full well that if he doesn't play, he's going to leave. So I felt like there was gross negligence from Sari last season. And that's I think that made Callum... I think that kind of shaped Callum's stance and his, his team's stance on what was going to happen. Now, in terms of the club itself, I want to shout out Marina and Abramovich for putting the plug on the Sari experiment. Yep. And I want to shout out because they knew full well that when this transfer ban... Because well, I think the club knew about the transfer ban from what? Around November. So they knew it was coming. It's been around the club for some time. So I think from then, they were thinking, you know what? This Sari situation needs to go. And I think the moment that Callum was... That there was whistles of Callum trying to leave or wanting to leave... I think it obviously accelerated that process. Now, I don't think Callum Hudson-Odoi would have signed a new contract or there'd be any any feeling that he signed a new contract if Sarri was still our manager. Um, do you I think feel that's like, more to do with Sarri leaving or Lampard coming in? I think it's a combination of both. I think Sarri leaving, critical, because I don't believe Sarri is a manager that really cares for the youth at Moise all. King. As you could see in Juventus, he's trying to get rid of Moise Keane. Um, which is madness to me. Madness. He's one of the best young strikers in world football, but that's another topic. Um, but Frank Lampard as well, is not only as a man that he knows the club inside out, he's a legend at the club, but also Frank Lampard did work with Callum hudson Day when he was at Chelsea doing small, small coaching with Jody. Um, so he's very, very... Callum knows what Lampard is about and what Jody is about in terms of young players. And he knows their opinions and their beliefs on the young players because I think Callum Hudson-Odoi is the embodiment of the frustration of the Chelsea youth, Acad- youth and Academy system. His frustrations and his, his um, reluctance to really trust the club is not just only his. It is a, a culmination of players that have been let down throughout the years and he was well within his rights and he's well within his rights for me he was well within his rights to take his time and get his reassurances and demand his just dues and I feel like he maybe 180k may seem wild right now but I'm almost certain Delict is getting about 200k at UV so I'm trying to I'm struggling to see is it just because he's an academy product Right. That he should be getting lesser than. Can I? Can I? Can I come in Joe, here? Joe, Joe, in, Joe, in, Joe, in a hypothetical world where you were say some sort of investment banker, do you think this is a strong investment? 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about market values, isn't it? I mean, if you if you look at uh, the sort of bids that Chelsea were rejecting for, for Callum, £45 million, to me suggests that they value him upward, I'd say, of 65 maybe £70 million. You know, if you're looking at uh, some of the, the fees that were going around for Zaha, when Chelsea were interested, it was it was well into sort of the 80s. So if you're looking at that, I mean, what, what, what do you pay a payer who, who you value that sort of uh, money? I mean, you pay them well over 150k a week if you if you bought a... Seventy million pound winger who was uh, twenty. I think I think Mbappe's on like three hundred fifty k a week. Yeah. You know, so I mean, I mean, he's a year older. And okay, I'm not making the comparison in terms of their ability at the moment, but just you had three seconds to take that one back, and I was about to go mad. But that's... yeah, and just 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 to highlight the you know sort of the young players in, in, in that sort of kind of style and mould and, and potential are, are earning sort of significant money. So. Yeah, I mean, it's all to do with the club's valuation. You know, I think the way that, that Callum's agents have played this is that if, you, if you're rejecting bids around 45 million, if you're valuing him as a 60, 70 million pound player, then pay him as such. Don't pay him. I think Ruben's first contract was 60K and people were sort of complaining about that. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of the investment, obviously, you know, it does put pressure on him to, to perform. But I think we've seen, particularly for his, his sort of academy career, and it's now about him transitioning that to, to sort of men's football on a consistent basis is that he's always really delivered in, in the big games, in the Youth Cup finals. He was fantastic in the in the World Cup that they won. So he seems to be a player that rises to the occasion. And I think that the you know the way that they've they've handled it is to just they've almost sort of banked on him becoming the player that I think his talent probably deserves or demands that he become. You know, and I always make the Mbappe comparisons. I do genuinely believe if he really sort of fulfills his potential, he can be in that kind of brackets sort of a, as a kind of an Mbappe type player. He's nowhere near there at the moment, being, being completely honest. But, you know, he, he's played nowhere near the, the amount of football that, that, that uh, Killian has. So, yeah, but I mean, you know, if you're looking long term, 180k, if it, if it is that amount of money, is is nothing to a, to a player that potentially could completely transform, uh, you know, sort of Chelsea's attack. And he may well be, you know, sort of the heir apparent to, to Eden Hazard's sort of hole that's, that's been left in the club. So, I mean, if you could potentially feel Hazard's hole with a with a homegrown player and paying 180k a week, I think Hazard was on what 250, maybe 300 when he left. So yep. you're, you're still sort of quitting in in that aspect mm-hmm. as well. So for me, it's it's definitely deserved, and I think the club really, have, have, I wouldn't say that they they cordoned themselves with the bids that they rejected, but that they set the market for him. You know, they yeah, set the market. Exactly. So yeah, it's for me, it's prudent, but you know, the onus is on now is is, is for Callum to deliver, and I, and I hope he does because I think he's he's worth every penny. Uh, and and well, Dan, Dan, last, Dan, last, Dan, wait, Dan, last word on Callum. Um, just, I'm really interested to get your view. Joe talked about the transition to men's football. Now, Callum looked fantastic for the first team, mm. but that was Europa League games, maybe weaker games for use of a better word. Do you think that transition is an absolute sure thing, or can you see it becoming a bit rocky, Dan? So last season we saw kind of, even though he played well in a lot of games, sometimes he'll have like a good first half. And then he'll be non-existent in the second half or vice versa. I do think, um, I think he could be a 180k, 80k player for us. I think that's what we hope from him as well. Um, I think all of us would have been super mad if he left. So I feel like, um, I don't think it's a club's job to pay players as little as possible. I don't think that's a job. I don't think um, Chelsea have done a bad job because, because we have paid him more money. And I don't think, again, I think with... Callum's agent side, a lot of them are painting them like the bad guys, but I think it's their job as well to kind of get him the market value. And I think Joe has kind of explained why 
he's he's worth that money. But I feel like um, from what I've seen of Callum, he he's ready. I think he's very aggressive. I like so far um, in terms of the goals and assists he got in the little time he played. That's made me optimistic that he can contribute. I'm hoping like double figures, not just in total, but in the Premier League. And that's just in terms of goals. Um, I like the fact that he's a shooter as well. Um, and he's going to be playing on the left. Usually he was playing on the right, and on the right we saw his crossing, but he's going to be playing on the left, I think, which means he can cut in and we can see him like popping off shots. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really optimistic. I would have paid him the 180k. I think that's a no-brainer. I think he's 18, 18 now. In, he'll be 23 when, in five years. And I think 180k by then will be nothing. So, and, and, and assuming this deal does get signed, obviously the 180 figures just... Yeah. Come from Sky as a as a potential order hundred. Come from Matt Law as a potential nothing is official official. Yeah. Um, assuming this does get signed, what do you see as considering there's an injury? We don't know how to react to that. It's not as severe as Rubens, but it's it's there. Mm. Uh, transition to men's football. What do you and feel free to chime in, Meads or anyone else? What do you see as an an acceptable season or, or for his development this year? I think that he needs to. Score more goals than he did last season, at least, because obviously he's going to have a lot more game time. But yeah. I, I'm thinking, I not acceptable. I think he shouldn't score less. Th- so like, I don't like wingers that don't score one in three. But then this is going to be his first full season um, as a you know in the Premier League. So I, I'm hoping he at least hits one in three. I think it's a fair shout though because he is a direct aggressive yeah. attacker. He's not a creator really that we've seen any evidence. Well, he can he's cross. A, he's a, he's a dribbler. Can... He's a scorer. He can cross. Yeah. But I wouldn't call that creation. But that's, that's just me. I'd see that as, okay. as a final touch to a move. It's yeah. valid. But you know, I think that's what he, he's he's a numbers man. I think he will be judged on that because that's where his strength is. So yeah. I think one in three is a fair shout. Yeah. Um. The thing. Oh, I just wanted to just touch back on your point in regards to the senior players and their weight and. And, you know, knocking on the door, etc. Obviously, it's funny. Um, apparently, William has agreed a new two-year... Well, I think it's a two-year extension or a new two-year contract. What does that have on the club? Like, but, so, so, in terms of William and, and players like that, so you mentioned Alonso, Aspilicueta. I don't believe William, Aspi, Alonso. I don't think them man have ever been on Abramovich's yacht. I don't think that that's the levels they're on. I think they've got a bit of equity because they played for the club for, what, a number of years. Some of them, luckily... Um, but I think there's levels. And I think, especially with Lampard, Lampard's a man that's been on Roman's yacht. I think <laughs> Roman and Lampard have a, a, a better relationship than any of the other remaining players, bar David Luiz. And David Luiz has got his extension. He's comfy. So these other players, I don't think they have that way. I don't think they have that equity to go to Roman and say, oh, hey, listen, what do you mean? The, why are you giving this shit? Because Ben and going they... to Roman and there's being influential enough, at least in the dressing room, to cause there's disruption no, and make yeah. that difficult. I, I small, especially in the Conte's second season. I, I hear that. But then again, this is Frank Lampard now. It, and... you, can, you can try and run that with a man that doesn't have any equity at the club. But if you're going to try and run that with someone that does, it's going to... It's, I wouldn't... I, I don't believe it would work out well for you. Yeah, and a lot especially, of... especially if you've got back it so it's not like Roman it's not like Roman and Terry. It's not Roman and Terry. Like Lampard is revered around Chelsea from top to bottom. Yeah. Um so I think it's a very different situation. I think Roman and if it was Terry as manager, for example, I don't know about I I won't I don't know for certain, but I remember when Terry was having his issues, um obviously with a racist incident. I remember Roman wasn't too happy about that. So in terms of their relationship from then has been a bit... Mm, Lampard's squeaky clean around the club. 
obviously he left for Man City, mm. but Roman is a man that if you want to leave somewhere, he'll give you a blessing. That's the kind of guy he is. So I think the relationship between those two is very, very strong. Lampard and the board, their relationship is very, very strong. So I don't think players like William Alonso could go to the board or go to anybody and try and rustle any feathers. Because I think Lampard would be like, all right, you're off. I'll yeah. just get in a, a young player. That's it's what I'm fine. saying. They're under pressure for their position. Whether it's yeah, Aspeak as Reese James. Whether it's Alonso, obviously we've got Castillo and Emerson. So these guys, they're not, they're not going to hold much weight. They're just here because of the band, really. I think a lot of them. I feel like I with, as, with Equator, it's I don't know the kind of... I feel like it's going to be a thing where everybody wants Reese James to start already, but the only reason why he'll start is just because of the past. Like, the fact that he's captain, the fact that he's put in work. I feel like it's going to... It's, it's like, sooner or later, Reese James is going to replace him. And I think it's going to happen sooner. But is Aspie really our capo, though? Because I really see Luiz as our captain. Yeah. And I think Luis, everyone around listen, the club captain, sees him as our captain. captain. David Luiz. But, oh. but, like, symbolically, he, like, Aspie's got that armband. I think it will be quite a boozy shout to drop him for Reese James, as much as I think it should probably happen as the season goes on. I think maybe Castillo for Emerson will be a, a, a while off, but I think Reese James is ready, like, without any shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Um, but that one is, it's not like Aspilicueta is 31, 32 creaking on. I mean, it, it, but it's, it's going to, that's a big shout. That's a big shout. It's, it's a, a big call to do. Big call. The funny thing is, it's, yeah. it feels like everyone wants that to happen, but the only reason why it's not happening is because of respect for what he's done. Yeah. Yeah, I feel, I feel so. And then I think, I think going into the rotation shot, my ideal situation that Joe mentioned is, what he's sort of envisioned for Louise for me is that's been a quite okay when we are up against a, a Liverpool who we need a 1v1 specialist maybe at left back or right back then that's where Aspi will be worth his weight in gold big European ties where we yeah. might depend in but I, I, I don't know man like, I know we've sidetracked a little bit here from one young player to another but for me Reese James needs to be getting 20 starts 25 starts a season I think there's no for all the Callum talk for me hmm. Reese James is the most ready ready I agree from yeah. The same, yeah Far none, far none. So just to wrap up, because we're coming coming to that time. Um, yeah. Touching on a few few loan moves, the ever churning loan machine that is CFC. Um, <laughs> Lewis Baker for Tuna Dosseldorf with a ten million option to buy. That for me, I think as much as all we're big fans of Lewis, I think that this probably looks like his his way to step into regular football in top yep. division in Europe and hopefully he smashes it there. Um, yeah. Matt Miazga, I don't know either. Um, <laughs> yeah. Again, he's going to be in the American ranks now. He's not even yeah. American now. Hey, like, from when his last loan's cancelled, anyway, let me not even. <laughs> Clark Solmar, Rolls-Royce, off to Birmingham. He's never really kicked on like we think, but I think that yeah. could be another one now. I think this might really be his one where if he solidifies himself. I think there's a whole generation of this lot. Casey Palmer hopefully will get a good move this year. I know they're working on that. Um, Baker, Palmer, Clark Soto, kind of that. Izzy Brown, that generation. I just, yeah, I mean, they look like they're gone. Hopefully they just find good, solid moves for their careers. Trevor yeah. Chalabar is a really interesting one though now. That's come out the other day that Huddersfield, and moving aggressive without that they're interested they don't just want a cheap loan it's like there's murmurs they want that to be permanent or a loan with an option to buy mm. I mean, that's a really how's he feeling about that though because um obviously you you go from chelsea and i think actually he wanted to leave last season those yeah. rumors that he wanted to leave last season um and we got him to sign a new deal um 
and obviously in terms of progression, he, I think he's on a steady he, he's on a steady upward curve. Um, but again, playing time is critical. Just the to positions. Him. I think. I think. Yeah, he could take a drink water Bakayoko slot in the squad for me probably. Yeah, but then there's Kovacic, Kante, Jorginho, Ruben dropping in. Gilmore even, and I think Gilmore's ahead of him in terms of getting in our team as well. So as a two-way I player, all over the pitch. The reason why I say that is because, for example, we don't have someone that can kind of control a game like Jorginho other than Gilmore. And Gilmore may do it to a, a lesser degree, but who else? Maybe Loftus, but we want Loftus up front. I could put you could put losses yet there. He yeah. could do, he could definitely do a job because he's far, he's super talented and super capable. Yeah. But would you want him there? Mm. No. Uh, I don't I don't know if I'd have him there. I don't know if I'd want him there just by force to be the controller. Yeah, you know, a waste of his talents. Okay, fair point. And then so Gilmore, there's not really, I haven't seen many whispers. I think he's probably best served training again with the first team in yeah. Chile. Yeah, I mean more central in the 23s, maybe a cup appearance or something. I think. Tomori, it looks like they're holding out for a Premier League loan. What I'm really interested in, as just the last thing we touch on, is Ampadu or Tomori, who would you guys expect more to go away, smash it this year? Because that Leipzig loan is mad interesting. Mad, mad, mad. Ampadu's going to have a lot of space to grow there. Tomori, I think they need to get the right club. But for you guys, as a last word before we... Um, before we move on, I think as the preseason gets really dead, we might dedicate a whole pod to, to these youngsters and, and see yeah. who fringes and stuff. But Tomori or Ampadu, who are you guys backing to go away and really stake a claim for next year? I'm going to say Tomori, simply because I love the profile of player he is. He's very aggressive, but he's also very good on the ball. Um, yeah, he's very competent. And I think he could probably... If it weren't for Zuma, I think he'd be with us, if I'm being completely honest. But I feel like Zuma is a step ahead of him, not only in experience, but in terms of just as a player, and just he's less raw. Um, but Tomori, I feel like if he has a great loan, and we need to make sure that he goes to the right team, because I think there were talks about Burnley. I wouldn't feel comfortable him going Burnley. Um, so I, I, as long as he gets the right loan, I think he'll come back... Not only, I don't think he'll significantly improve as a player. I think his experience will obviously improve. Like he would grow in terms of experience. I don't think he'd be become a, like a supreme defender just over one year. But I think his confidence will increase. His experience obviously will increase, and I think will be better and will benefit from it. Now, what happens when he comes back though? So who then moves on? Because we'll still over. have. We'll still have what Listen, five. One, I'm telling you now, one centre back is getting pissed off before January and cutting. It's happening straight. Yeah. It's happening. But, Someone yeah, is. Do you know that that sounds very like you know? I, 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 I sense, I sense, I sense where you're going with that, and I sense who you're going with that. I'm not going to say his name. You know what? I don't even know. I think the. the I'm, I'm, a the, huh? uh, I'm not going to say his name because I back him. I, I know happy. who he is. But, but I know because this is what he's about. He's what he's like, isn't it? Like if he's not getting his way, he says a couple things still. There's three centre backs that look like they have a heart of a lion, and there's the man whose dad talks too much. But anyway, <laughs> oh, anyway oh, I didn't do it. <laughs> anyone, anyone on the Ampadu train for next year in terms of smashing it at Leipzig? We, really, really cemented himself. For me, I don't even know where he's going to play at Leipzig. So I don't. In terms of a direct comparison to Mori to Ampadu, I'm not sure. But I feel like. If Tomori gets a Premier League loan, um, I feel like he's going to have the, the upper hand because usually it's just like 
people, if even if Ampadu plays well in Germany, people say, oh, that's, well, that's Germany, you know? Whereas if Tomori hits in the Prem, then there's nothing they can say, really. He's done it in the same league that we're playing in. Um, and I like, I like the fact that he's composed. I think I saw in under-21s he made a mistake, but um, if, he, if he does well in a Prem, then there's no excuse for Chelsea to say you're not ready. Um, I think something that speaks volumes about Tomori is when he was at our academy, academy player of the year, he's gone to Derby, Derby player of yeah. the year. He's a, amazing from what I've seen, 1v1 um, defender. I remember I was telling Joe, or maybe the, uh, you guys, I went to the under-18s finals a few years ago, the under-18s FA Cup final, and I was buzzing to see Clark Soter. Mm. Good player. I imagine Clark Soter is going to have a good career, but I came away just telling everyone, now nah, this Tomori guy, joke. Joke mm. 1v1 defensive, joke team. Um, so yeah, Joe, any concluding words about these loans? Gonna go. I'll go with Ampadu just to be different. Um, I'm thinking partly because you know playing under Julian Nagelsmann, I think that's going to be really, really interesting to see how he's used. I mean, I've read some from stuff from from Germany saying that they're looking at him as a as a holding player. You know, I've been searching for my kind of Michael Essien replacement at Chelsea for a very, very long time, and I, I kind of think from a an aggression standpoint from his attitude. I love the fact that he's sort of already smashing like Sergio Ramos and he doesn't take any bollocks really when he plays. But I think from a technical standpoint now, if, if Nagelsmann can can improve in particularly at the base of a midfield, they play 4-3-3, they also play a bit of 4-2-3-1, then him coming back potentially means, you know, that you've got another really, really kind of solid midfielder that can maybe not play that controlling role, but, but, but potentially play alongside a Jorginho or someone give a little bit more physicality to the base of that midfield so and I also love the fact that he took the number 26 as well I thought that was quite a nice little touch as well I don't know so it's a nice touch class my big hope for him is that he actually just nails down a position and plays there for 20 games yeah. games 40 games and doesn't come back as a hybrid right back centre back centre mid libero maybe going goal maybe going anywhere else like yeah no it's not good for him it's not good but yeah okay boys thanks very much um, moving on to next week Everyone lock in next week, same time, same same order, everything coming the rest of preseason. It's yep. been Chessy Hour, Touchland yep. Frackers. Boom. Also, guys, don't forget to get your tickets for our live show. August tickets 11th. from shoots.com, Touchland Frackers, Instagram, 11th Check of August. Yeah, 11th of August. So yeah, come in. on down, watch the Arsenal game, watch the Chelsea United game. Should be boom. All right, peace, everyone. Nice. He doesn't take any bollocks really when he plays. But I think from a technical standpoint now, if, if Nagelsmann can can improve in particularly at the base of a midfield, they play 4-3-3, they also play a bit of 4-2-3-1, then him coming back potentially means you know that you've got another really, really kind of solid midfielder that can maybe not play that controlling role, but 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 potentially play alongside a Jorginho or someone and give a little bit more physicality to the base of that midfield. So, and I also love the fact that he took the number 26 as well. I thought that was quite a nice little touch as well. I don't know. It's a, it's a nice touch. Class. My big hope for him is that he actually just nails down a position and plays there for 20 games, yeah. games, 40 games, and doesn't come back as a hybrid right-back, centre-back, centre-mid, libero, maybe going goal, maybe going anywhere else. Like, yeah, no, it's not good for him. It's not good. But, yeah, OK, boys, thanks very much. Um, moving on to next week. Everyone lock in next week, same time, same same order, everything, cover the rest of the preseason. It's yep. been Chessy Hour, Touchland yep. Frackers.
Boom. Also, guys, don't forget to get your tickets for our live show. When you're ready to ride Metro, we want you to know we're ready for you. Here are just a few of the people at Metro to tell you how we're doing our part to keep riders safe. We're cleaning like never before, with hospital-grade cleaning. You'll find hand sanitizer stations all over the Metro. No mask, no Metro. Need one? We have a few extras. At Metro, we're doing our part to keep the D.C. area moving. Find out more at wmata.com slash doingourpart. Sports Social Podcast Network.